Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. I'm Christy Rome, and our scripture reading is from Acts 10, verses 1 through 23. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 2007, I was driving home from work, listening to the radio, and I heard the DJ mention that they're going to have a radio contest. But it wasn't your ordinary contest. This was for LASIK surgery, free LASIK surgery. (laughs) And all you had to do was to turn in an essay Now, I'm sure many of you are thinking, I get like winning a koozie or a lapel pin or concert tickets from the radio, but do you really entrust your retina like for someone to shoot laser beams into your eye from winning a radio contest? And the answer is yes. Yes, I do. And so I sent in my essay and a couple weeks went by and I got a phone call saying that I had been selected 
I had one LASIK surgery. So I went in you know, later on to the appointment. I was so proud of my prolific writing that won me this, this opportunity. And I asked people when I sat down, what did you like about the essay? And they said, we actually, no one read it. We had so many applications that we just chose your name out of the hat. So, uh, you know, I had the procedure done. Um, afterwards, it was really fuzzy. I think I had to cover my eyes. I was told doctor's orders, go home and take a nap. That's my superhero ability is to be able to take a nap. And so I went home and the most fascinating thing happened is when I woke up, I, I could see perfectly. I started noticing things I had never noticed before. We had a skylight in that home that we lived in, and I started seeing like how tall the pecan tree was. I just started laughing as I was running around the house, just from a couple hours before that, not being able to see well at all without contacts, and all of a sudden, I could see perfectly. My perspective had totally changed. That is what this passage is that we're gonna be talking about today, is what happens when your perspective dramatically changes. Uh, our passage is in Acts 10. We're introduced to a man whose name is Cornelius. And this is what we know about Cornelius is that he was a centurion, which means he was like a soldier and a leader. He was a powerful man. He was in charge of at least a hundred other soldiers and he was Roman. So he, you know, he was uh, a part of that class and a part of that ethnic group. We also see in our scripture that he was a God-fearing man. Now, that term God-fear is more than just some sort of description. It's actually a term. It identifies that Cornelius actually believed and had faith in the God of Israel, the God of our Old Testament. Like he actually, even though he was Roman, he actually believed and worshiped the one true God. But he was never fully accepted into the Jewish community because he didn't fully convert. Like he, there is this list of rules that Cornelius didn't do. So even though they believed the same, he was other, he was different. There was barriers from what Cornelius could experience. And he was seen as someone who was unclean. So one day at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, which was like a normal time for uh, people to pray in that time in that culture, um, Cornelius was in prayer, and then an angel interrupted his prayer and said, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. There's a simple truth in that, just that verse right there, that even though Cornelius was excluded and someone considered an other, God was taking notice of his devotion to God. Like God was taking notice of how Cornelius was a man of prayer, a man of generosity and compassion. And it's just good to know, because I know there's many of us who have felt excluded. We have felt like there were barriers from us belonging, even belonging in faith communities. And we just need to know the same God who saw Cornelius sees us. The same God that is attentive uh, to Cornelius' prayer and generosity God notices us. And it's not like Cornelius earned anything from God, but God was moved by the way in which Cornelius, his heart was after the right things. And so God takes notice of you as well. And this is what the angel continued to say. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
So Cornelius is sending these three men to go find Peter. And while they're on their way, the same God that is at work in Cornelius' life is at work with Peter's life, preparing him for a new chapter. Verse 9 says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. In the ancient Middle East, they would oftentimes have a staircase uh, on the outside of their home uh, leading to the roof because their roofs were actually treated more like a balcony. Because you know how cool it is to go up on the roof. I remember so vividly the first couple times as a kid where I realized I could climb up on the roof. It was like we discovered another room to our home. Uh, we loved going up there. I remember even later on a buddy, Matt. Matt and I would go up on the roof and we would drink Virgil's root beer. Like we're two men just getting done with a blue collar job laying concrete and drinking our root beer like men do on a roof. Like I remember it so clearly. But the reason why I think uh, there's something interesting going on here is that why I, why I love climbing on the roof was, I mean, I grew up in the same home for most of my life and I knew every square inch of it. But when I climbed up on the roof, something changed. Like, like the yard looked different. Our home looked different. Our neighbor's house looked different. The trees looked different. Everything looked different. It's the same home, different perspective. So I wonder, I wonder if there's something more going on here. I wonder if there's almost like an image for us of God meeting Peter on this roof to give him a new perspective, to reorient his thinking. And I wonder if God wants to invite you to climb up on the roof with him. I wonder if God wants to invite you, hey, let's call a timeout. Let's go up on the roof. And I want, to, I want you to have a different perspective of your life. I want you to, to look at your plans and your dreams in a different way. I want you to look at your finances in a different way. That contentious relationship, there's a different way to see it. I wonder if God oftentimes wants to invite us into uh, to discover a new perspective. Because that's what's about to happen for Peter. Peter climbs up on this roof to pray, and God's about to totally alter his point of view. It goes on in verse 10. Peter became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kind of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Now this message is not sponsored by PETA. We know that, right? Verse 14, it goes on. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So this heavenly picnic just seems probably a little bit weird for us. So let, me, let me just pause for a second and just explain some things. Uh, for the Jewish community, God had given them very specific rules on what they could and could not eat. There are things that were clean and there's things that were unclean. And even today within the Jewish community, some of them still practice this by only eating what is kosher. And so... Peter now in prayer now has this vision of God letting down this blanket of food that are good and clean and some food that's unclean, which would make all of it unclean. And God's saying, eat it. You can eat it. And Peter probably is thinking, what is this about? Is this a test? 
Is this a, are you trying to test me or something, God? And he answers like any good, faithful Jewish person would. I would never eat that which is unclean. There's no way that I would break your law. I mean, it's in our scriptures. We are, cannot eat these animals. And then uh, God does something so surprising. In verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This moment would have been so confusing for Peter. But what God's saying, and this is my version, that God's saying, if I say something is clean, it's clean. If I say something is good, it's good. God is inviting Peter into a new perspective, a new way of seeing things. The old way of being is about to change. It reminds me of a prophecy in Isaiah 43 that says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God is doing a new thing. God is inviting uh, Peter to forget the former ways. God is doing something new. Now, there's sometimes in our life where like, we've been praying and hoping for a new chapter. And we've like, uh, longing for it. Like, let me think. Like now, like <laughs> I'm ready for something new. I'm ready for this chapter to be over with. But there are other times in our life for God to say, I'm about to change things. For us, that's really threatening. It's really disturbing for us. Sometimes it, we're like, I think that's honestly why some of us are reluctant to truly follow Christ because we know that if we do so, God's going to change us. Like if we actually jump in, and, and truly pursue Christ and give ourselves over for the work of the Spirit in our life that we won't be the same. So I think that's why oftentimes we, we kind of dabble. We dabble in, in, in our spiritual life with Christ we, because we want, our, we want our life to continue as is, but just a little bit of grace sprinkled on top. We just want a little joy, a little hope sprinkled on top. But if, if that's you, I just want to say out of love for you that God... God wants to do new things in our life because the former things sometimes hold us back from growth, from moving and maturing into being the people that God has us to be. That God has something better for us. God had something better for Peter. And that's what God was about to do here. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, while he was wondering about it, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So while Peter was trying to figure out what in the world that vision was all about, someone's calling out his name. These three men are calling out his name. Peter goes downstairs, meets them the next day. Uh, Peter follows them to Cornelius' house. And when, when Peter enters, Cornelius, this man of great power, this righteous man of, of great influence, falls down at Peter's feet. Peter sees this and says, I'm just a man. I'm, I'm just a man. But then he notices that there's actually a crowd that's been gathered at Peter's house. A bunch of these Gentiles are there. And Peter realizes something. Verse 28, Peter says, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. 
So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Peter still doesn't fully understand it, but he's just being faithful to what God's telling him to do. So he's like, well, why am I here? And then Cornelius tells his story, the whole story about how he was praying and how an angel visited him and, 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 and how God has noticed him and then sent his people to go to where actually Peter was, like, and everything was true. And so, I'm, so Cornelius says, we, and we want to hear the message that God has given you for us. And it was in that moment that Peter started connecting the dots. In his perspective, what, what happened on that rooftop, what happened on that rooftop started clicking into reality here. That blanket, that heavenly blanket, he was looking at this house and going, this is the blanket right here. This, is, this was that which is being made clean and good. It was right here. And, and, and then Peter starts speaking with that new perspective. And he says in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter was steeped in a tradition that, that believed that God did have favorites. Like there's actually a favored people, a chosen nation. And what he's seeing, like this a drastic change that might be lost on us. What he's saying is that God, God does not belong to a nation, a people, a race, an ethnic group that God has no favoritism. There's no such thing as racial superiority. There is acceptance for anyone who fears God and does what is right. This it would be shocking because God was doing a new thing. So Peter sees this and then he goes into his message, his sermon, the reason why God wanted him to come to share this message. And so he begins to talk about Jesus what they personally witnessed Jesus do in his life and his death and his resurrection. He talks about how Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecies of their ancient texts and how there is now forgiveness for anyone who believes in Jesus' name. And I love the next verse. I love what happens now. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message while he was still speaking. I love that because like there's no altar call in Peter's message. They didn't get to it. There's no, there's no pitch. And even the people, they didn't have a chance to respond to the message they were hearing. But as they were hearing this good news about Jesus, the Holy Spirit was almost like impatient. You know, that person at a surprise party when someone's walking in, that person yells it too quickly. I almost see the Holy Spirit doing this, just so eager to break down the barrier that they had experienced. You know, like just the, the, that these Gentile people felt like they were second rate in God's eyes. Sure, they could worship God, but they were not a part of the faithful community they were not favored. They were not in. And the Holy Spirit is now blessing them, baptizing them. Like just Peter's watching these people whom he shouldn't even be in their home. And God is blessing them with their, their, the presence of God's Spirit in the same way that they experienced in Pentecost. Because of this, that when Peter saw this, he said, 
Verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. What happens in the singular moment changes everything for Peter. Like he has to put down his old way of seeing and thinking about the way of God in this world and pick up a new way. He had to put on a new paradigm because, because the way that they saw it was, was limited and wrong. A, the church is not owned by a people group, a nation, or a race. But what it has instead, the church is now a family that transcends all of those different divisions. This is the gospel of Jesus. And unfortunately, I think many of us, we received a gospel that was limited. Uh, the gospel that we've received is that, that the work of the gospel is, is that it's a bridge by which we now get to enter into heaven or we now have access to God. But the gospel is also a sledgehammer that destroys every barrier that humanity has drawn between us. Every sense of favoritism that we have constructed, the good news of Jesus destroys all of it. And all we're left in is the reality that we have, we have a, 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 a unity that is in Christ, that is unknown in this world. That we have, we have been made right, not only with God, but we've been right, made right with one another. Because this is what Jesus did. Jesus, he spent his time breaking down barriers. He infuriated the religious. He ate with the wrong people. He went to the temple and flipped over uh, tables. He, he attacked the religious paradigms of that day. And then one day he said, don't worry, I'm going to leave. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate. And when the Spirit came, the Spirit picked up that same baton and did the exact same stuff blessed the wrong people, brought in the wrong crowd. Those people who were forbidden and excluded from the kingdom of God received the same spirit and was lifted up on the same level as everyone else. This is unfortunate that this is a timely message here today because we are in a time of great division. We have racial division, social division, political division. We have division in the church. We have division in our church. And it's human nature in a moment like this to splinter off into tribes. And when we splinter off into tribes, we begin to feel like perhaps we're the favored ones. We, we are the ones who are favored by God and they are not. And what we are reminded in this moment is that kind of division, the idols that we make around our own sense of tribes is something that the Holy Spirit might want to dismantle. Perhaps now in this season of our life, maybe the Holy Spirit wants to say, come on up on the roof. I want to show you a new thing. I want, I want to give you a new perspective. I had a moment similar to this some years ago. Uh, so I, the tradition in which I grew up in, which I'm grateful for, um, the, the only people I ever saw preaching were men. The only, the only pastors I ever knew were men. Even in college, it was the same. And it wasn't until I went to seminary that I started meeting a bunch of women who were in seminary. And I, I like instinctively just thought they were there for to be children's pastors and women's pastors. And um, I got to know a couple of them. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. 
I want to be a pastor. And uh, one, one friend uh, in particular, after she heard how outspoken I was in my belief that it was not right or biblical for a woman to pastor and lead a church, she just graciously asked me to have a conversation about it. And looking back, I remember sitting on the bench on, on the campus at Baylor and um, talking 90, 90, 95% of the time, sharing my reasons, quoting scripture, and uh, not really ever listening. Um, so I, I, I uh, when I graduated from seminary, I took a job at a church that celebrated women in ministry. And right around the time I was hired, a woman was hired to be associate pastor. And I'll never forget our first conversation. Um, we were in the copy room and um, she introduced herself. We talked a little bit about our background and she heard my background and said, oh, that's really interesting. So in, with your background, what is it like for, for you that I'm a pastor at this church? And I looked at her and I said, I'm not comfortable with it. And uh, I left. And but then I think God invited me to follow him up on the roof as I watched Carol lead and serve. And I saw the gift of discernment that she brought. I saw her in pastoral care bring about profound healing that could only come from the Spirit of God. I heard her preach a sermon. I'm like you. I don't remember sermons. I don't expect you to remember this message on Tuesday, by the way. But I heard a message that she shared at a retreat. I can still quote uh, things that she said that have stuck with me and shaped how I see the church. And I watched how the Holy Spirit empowered her and infused her leadership and good fruit was coming from her ministry. And I remember one day, it was, it was as if God said, when you see Carol, don't call what I say is good, not good. What do you do? What do you do when God lovingly tears apart the way in which you have seen the world and you perceive truth to be and invites you into a new paradigm? When you know when you know the only way to continue to faithfully and honestly follow Jesus is to put down the old way of seeing how the world is. Man, it's disorienting. It's challenging. It's frightening. But we need to remember this, that we worship Jesus and not our religion. Like we love and we worship the Spirit of Christ in our midst and not the box that we have constructed our understandings of who God to be. Like this is, this is where we often get it so wrong is we focus on the wrong thing. Instead, we need to begin to focus on what is the Spirit doing at work amongst God's people here today. So the question is, how can we be led by the Spirit like this? I mean, it's tricky, right? It's tricky because we know people have abused that idea of being led by God. Well, God told me, God told me this, or I had a vision that this should happen, or you should do that. We, you know, it's, it's too common that, it's, uh, that people abuse it. And, and even that idea of being led by the Spirit is fuzzy. It's, it's just, it's fuzzy. Like we would rather have a playbook because following the Holy Spirit requires attention and faith. So I, I want to leave you with a word that might be helpful for us to just take a next step in being guided 
by the Holy Spirit and instructed by the Holy Spirit is a word that repeats itself in this story several times, and it's the word while. So did you notice that it was while Cornelius was praying that an angel showed up? It was while Peter was on the roof praying that a vision came to him. And afterwards, it was while he was contemplating and reflecting upon that vision that men showed up at his door confirming it. And it was while Peter was preaching the message that this community was was, uh, touched by the Holy Spirit, while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit moved. And so... I've been thinking in my life, and I hope you are in your life too, is am I creating margin to do those wild experiences so that I can be attentive to the Holy Spirit at work in my life? So I can have margin so that as I'm praying, as I'm meditating on Scripture, meditating and reviewing my life and experiences, and while I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the Word of God, that perhaps the Holy Spirit might show up. You know, I had, a, I had a teacher once say that God shares his secrets for those who are willing to listen. And are we willing to listen? This is why it's so important, those spiritual practices and habits we talk about, this is why they're so important. Habits like prayer and silence, uh, reflecting on our life with God, meditating and studying on scripture and hearing God's word preached. This is why it's actually important is because while we're doing those things, the Holy Spirit can show up. This is our hope. This is our prayer. And the same Holy Spirit that was at work in Cornelius' house is in your home with you today. The same Holy Spirit wants to, to lead you, to empower you, to touch you, to restore you, and maybe perhaps even invite you to go on the roof of your life so that you could see it all differently.